Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1451. And mm-hmm. it's entitled Hats That. <laughs> Our podcast title is It Ain't the Years, Potty, It's the Mileage. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, that means that we're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny today. I am Rob Jam. And Megan McHugh. And I feel like we need a fanfare for that. And guess what? We have one. We have the Raiders March, which is from a really nice compilation album called the Indiana Jones Trilogy. And it's music composed by John Williams for the film series, including The Dial of Destiny. Zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. (laughs) Oh, by crikey, you'd be hard-pressed to pick a favourite John Williams music from a big franchise. I mean, you know, it's like... Star Wars, Close in, well, Close Encounters is not a franchise, but never mind. Um, mm, you know, mm, Indiana mm. Jones and Jurassic Park, and he knows his stuff. Like those notes, it's just I don't know. Really, the nostalgia kicks in right away. The power of the score, I definitely can see that for this franchise. Well, you see, this is now it's got its own nostalgia built in, but it was originally designed the whole Indiana Jones thing to be a nostalgic revival of the old movie serials that they used to play before films you know, mm-hmm. in the 1930s, 40s, etc., and which then in, enjoyed a new life on television, sort of stripped out and played as either little movies or as just actual serials before other shows and stuff. And, you know, I grew up with that, but the current mm-hmm. generations, I guess generations onwards, they actually now mostly would know that from things like Indiana Jones, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Or even things that have shared DNA with Indiana Jones that came later, mm. like there's a video game series called Uncharted, which is very closely <laughs> shares some links with Indiana Jones and even things like Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know... The franchise started out, oh, God, franchise. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a term, isn't it? Uh, going back to 1981. So we've got, here's Steven Spielberg as the director of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And mm-hmm. he'd just come off Jaws, right? So he'd done Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. So he's a hot director, Two Mm -hmm, massive mm -hmm. box office films. In fact, you know, Jaws, E.T. and Jurassic Park, these are all big box office smash-o tentpole films. Classics of the genre, like the Hollywood genre of that era. He's he's ruling that class. So I feel like his fate and George Lucas is inextricably tangled together because with that, with Jaws, he's created this, I don't know, there have been blockbusters before, but... 
you know, that one really took off in the late mm. late 20th century. So, mm. you know, I feel like they were destined to come together. It's a, it's a, a whole Indiana Jones thing, isn't it, really, when you think about it? <laughs> and, of course, you've got uh, – and he was doing E.T. in 1982. And the 80s were a great – era for establishing franchises uh which have or or for carrying them forwards throughout eternity so you know you've got george lucas uh star wars movie in 1977 uh, and you know what he was not going to direct another major motion picture until until star wars phantom menace in 1999 it's mostly writing or producing yeah, right. So it's quite a long time between drinks for him. But at this stage, you know, he's riding high on Star Wars, the unexpected success of that. Mm-hmm. So unexpected that the toy line couldn't even catch up with it and they had to put issue IOUs at Christmas time in 77. <laughs> you know, so there's all this, all this sort of stuff going on. Uh, and they get together. And uh, this is now Lucasfilm, which, by the way, is now a subsidiary of Disney. They bought it for $4 billion in 2012. What don't they own? But seriously, almost what don't they own? (laughs) Not much. Star Trek. True. Very true. I I was going to say Doctor Who, but (laughs) it doesn't work that way anymore. So, you know, they've got this whole thing running and and, – it's the adventures of Dr. Henry Walton, Indiana Jones, Jr., named after his family dog, Indiana. That's right. <laughs> so in all of the films, it's, it's Harrison Ford, except whenever they're playing, like they're using a young indie kind of thing. So, you know, and that, that's another story. So we've got five films um, in, mm. up and we've got Raiders of the Lost Ark in, in 81, Temple of Doom in 84, Last Crusade in 89, which is my favourite one of the franchise. Me too. Not just because my parents had that on VHS, so it's the one that I saw the most, mm-hmm. but that's also my favourite from the first three. Yeah, I, I feel that that one has the best sort of plot, uh, the best character arcs, the best yep. character actors. The, <laughs> yeah, and the dialogue and the chemistry as well as the little tricks and little puzzles and things. Yeah. I think everything that we love about it, Indiana Jones movies, I think of The Last Crusade. Well, it stands on the shoulders of the other ones as well, of course. True, very true. And then we had the fairly unfortunate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in 2008. Yes. And uh, now we've got um, Dial of Destiny. And, yeah. you know, so that's those films. But in between, um, we also have the... Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, a television series, which mm-hmm. I watched. It was hard to catch up with because it changed channels and did all mm. sorts of things. A lot easier to watch now. Sean Patrick yeah. Flannery was playing young Indy um, between 16 oh. and 21 age. Mm-hmm. And then they had other actors too playing the same. Of course, River, River Phoenix as well played young Indiana Jones in the uh, Last Crusade movie at the start of that, if you remember. Mm. Uh, And George Hall played Indy at age 93. So (laughs) technically there is never any jeopardy in an Indiana Jones film for Indy. Oh, that's a very good point. So if you've seen any of those, and a lot of people haven't, (laughs) you know, but those, for that show, they had like writers and directors on it, like Carrie Fisher, Terry Jones, Nicholas Rogue. Uh, Joe Johnston, oh. so, and they had... Nicholas Wright. Yeah, yeah, and they had um, guest stars. Daniel Craig, Christopher Lee, 
Bob Peck from the uh, Jurassic Park wow. uh, franchise, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Elizabeth Hurley, Vanessa Redgrave, <laughs> Timothy Spall, and, and even Harrison Ford too. Cause, Gracious you know, me. So it actually had quite a good thing going there, and they're actually talking about now, of course, this is what they do, uh, another mm. young indie series, Disney Plus sort of thing. Well, I think they've they've canned that though, because mm. from what I understand is they were trying to get some things going, prequels and so on, maybe more Young Indiana Chronicles, but they've decided now that this fifth film is the last Indiana Jones mm. thing that we'll be seeing. Oh, really? Uh, I guess, yeah, oh. yeah. So they have been exploring those options that you mentioned, but um, I think they've put an official statement that that this is the journey. And and we're at the end of the road, kind of thing. The end of the arc, as it uh, as it were. Exactly. But you know, there've been comic books, a lot of comic books actually, and graphic novels, and a lot of books, yes. standalone mm-hmm. and series of novels as well, and video games too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Never yep. played any theme park rides and toys. So many toys along the way, yeah. but not as many as you might think. And you were saying earlier on that it inspired a show called Uncharted. Yeah, so it's a video game series um, and the central protagonist is a bit of an Indiana Jones and it's very much about going around finding artefacts and things like that. And it was um, adapted into a film with Tom Holland playing a young version of Nathan Drake, who's the protagonist, and that also starred Mark Wahlberg as well, that film. So the film I think was not as well received, but uh, I do respect that they gave it a go because it is a really cinematic idea. So it's a bit of a shame that the film didn't quite meet people's expectations, including mine, really, to be honest. But yeah, I would say the the hot action archaeologist trope, I mean, we all know where the, <laughs> the seed of that idea is coming yeah. from. And I love that obviously I think what a lot of people like is with Indiana Jones, like he's also academic, like there's um, some smarts required, there's curiosity and like a respect for artefacts and a respect for archaeology not, <laughs> to a degree. I mean, he is a great robber, like yeah, not. <laughs> not at all. If you were going, you know, I mean, I know actually many archaeologists have been inspired to enter that field because of this mm. this film. You know, I mean, I suppose the same thing could be said of for James Bond as well, except we'll never know. but if you ever look at you ever look at the archaeology the procedurals in these movies it's like well it's certainly wanting to make you go off and become a paleontologist or anything else you know yeah but if you've got the librarian movies and series two uh which is Mm. another one that seems to get neglected but it's actually pretty good uh and the tomb raider video games came out in the 1990s so you know clearly yes Lara Croft. And if I'm I'm not very familiar with this, but I'm assuming National Treasure has some Indiana Jones-ish energy. Yeah, and, and so does uh, Matthew Riley's uh, assorted books. He's got a lot of things where they've, um, they're, they're trying to find raid tombs and the ancient parts of the, mm. the, 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 the story tie into the modern ones. And, you know, and there's a series called Treasure Hunter too, I think. But there's been a lot of different things that it's inspired along the way. So ironically, in being that nostalgic trope, mm. it's become its own thing. So, you know. Totally, totally. I'd also say we're in the age of seeing actors returning to mm. roles that they they originated decades ago. So, I mean, not just Indiana Jones, of course. We've seen Harrison Ford return to his Han Solo 
role in the recent years. I think notoriously he doesn't like his Han, like his Han Solo stuff, but he loves playing indie. Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart. Exactly, coming out for another run. I'd even put things like um, Logan, which is highly relevant here, um, into that mix. But, I mean, also Tom Cruise, I mean, he just keeps on going, doesn't he? Um, Top Gun Maverick came out um, many, many years after the original and competing with this in cinemas, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, where he's hanging off cliffs and doing all the same things he was doing decades ago. So these franchises, I mean, keep keep coming and not even just ones of the last decade or two like you know first film in 81 it's 2023 that is a long time for him to be popping in and out of that hat Mm. so Mm. I think I think nostalgia sells and we're seeing the reflection of that in the things that are being made Mm. Mm. I think I'd like to play a little tribute track here before we get Mm. dug into this movie um (laughs) I think the Dr Jones one actually yeah, the old Aqua track from their classic one-hit wonder. <laughs> no, it's not actually. <laughs> they had a couple of they, hits, three hit wonders. Yeah, the Barbie Girl one as well, that, uh, yeah. which Mattel took I, legal issue with. They are, they're, they're directing what's going on in the cinemas right now with this <laughs> Dr. Jones and Barbie. It's all, it all stems back to Aqua. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. That's, that's a good point. And, and the thing about this uh, particular track is, the music video that goes with it, it's very, very Indiana Jones without actually being there because they're worried about <laughs> they're worried about getting sued at the time. So check out the music video for uh, Dr. Jones online, I'm sure, somewhere. And, and it should be noted that the director of the video, uh, uh, Peter Pedersen, he went on to do a short in 2008, Lego Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Brick. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, this is quite boppy and, and, you know, I don't know if it sets the mood, but uh, I, I feel like I need it as a Kickstarter. <laughs> Hello, me little lovelies. This is your old fat Artie Jack on Radio Free Triple R. You're listening to Zero G, and if you don't listen to it closely, I'm going to jump through your speakers and rip your bloody arms off, and I will too. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jones from Aqua's Aquarium album. Well, that's where it ended up on. Uh, 1997 came out originally, like after their big success with Barbie Girl and the subsequent lawsuit from Mattel. (laughs) (laughs) What a boppy track. I mean, I have not heard that for so long, but I had that album on CD. (laughs) I still have. (laughs) Oh, nice. And they actually had a lot of uh, pop culture hits in, you know, Lollipop Candyman and, uh, you know, Cartoon Heroes. They're they're very, they're very. Listenable to, I found, but that 1997, oh, yeah. that's a classic riff at the start there, isn't it? Really, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're obviously talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is such a dud title, and think about it quite literally. I mean, D O D, Dodd. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they all kind of, I think titles these days need a little bit of, of work, but this is the fifth film, as you mentioned, in the Indiana Jones franchise, I guess we're calling it. Uh, this one was directed by James Mangold. So we've seen Mangold's work before. He did Identity in 2003. Um, I'm just pulling out some notables. Uh, he did the biopic Walk the Line about Johnny Cash with Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix. And very uh, in the realm of Zero-G, he did The Wolverine in 2013 and then the beloved and 
very much uh, harrowing Logan in 2017. So he's done this aged hero Mm. thing before, we might say. I mean, we know we've got the new Deadpool coming up as well. But, uh, yes, so I think he definitely went into this and he's been on the record saying that he really wanted to show Indiana Jones, like, have this idea of a hero at sunset. He also has been tapped to do a a biopic about um, Buster Keaton. So... Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. What... I think he did a good job on the cash biopic, so yeah. I'd be interested to see. Yeah. If anyone knows who Buster Keaton is anymore, of course <laughs> they do. Uh, Mangold also co-wrote the script with Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, and David Kopp. Um, it did have a couple of writers that cycled through, but um, the end and final product was was these contributors. Uh, we also have this being the only film in the whole out of the whole five that wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg was attached and then in 2020 stepped away from the project and was replaced by Mangold. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I th- he must have been working on another project uh, instead or mm. who knows. <laughs> who knows what goes on in Spielberg's head. And also, as we know, George Lucas does like to squeeze his mind grapes over various franchises like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and then not actually <laughs> um, be involved further than the producing. But this one, he wasn't involved in the conception of the story or ideas either. So this is kind of really fresh out of uh the conception of Mangold and some other writers and doesn't really come from the Lucas Spielberg stables. So they were executive producers on the project though. So We have to mark that phrase that you just used there. That is possibly <laughs> the single best thing I've ever heard you say on Zero G. Squeeze his mind grapes. <laughs> he does though. He just kind of, you know, dribbles everything over and then wanders off and cashes his cheque. I mean, much respect. Um, of course, we do have someone else returning, though, John Williams, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the composer for the franchise, does return to do the score for this one as well. So, I mean, this one's been a bit divisive. I think it always is when we're returning to roles and films and ideas like this many years later. And also, I think, uh, coming off the back of Crystal Skull, which I found to be odd and I haven't revisited since I saw it at the cinema the first time. I think it's largely maligned by the Indiana Jones community and film fans, you know, in general. I'd be interested to go back and watch it and see if it is as bad as I remember. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have been meaning to revisit that. I've got it sitting around somewhere. Mm. I also think we should mention uh, amongst the producers of this film, Simon Emmanuel, Frank Marshall, well named names in the producing field, and Kathleen Kennedy. Now, mm-hmm. she's an important producer in this whole lineage, uh, co-founded um, Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Uh, it's actually oh. uh, married Frank Marshall too um, and is the president of Lucasfilm under Disney since 2012. Interesting. So yep. She's had a hand in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, you know, The Force Awakens, so on, uh, Rogue One, mm-hmm. Solo, and also The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett and Andor and so on. So she's actually quite a, a mover and shaker in, yeah. in that. And as a producer, I, I think she does bring a lot to any of these things because she's very experienced. Yeah, I do think actually speaking back to when we were discussing maybe spin-offs and prequels for Indiana Jones, I think Disney did put those um, away back in the closet because they wanted to focus on the Star Wars properties instead. So I think they made that choice between the two, actually, from what I remember seeing. But, yes, you're right. And I think 
I mean, we've seen Harrison return to many of his beloved roles, Blade Runner 2049, uh, back into the Star Wars trilogy, as I mentioned, and then here is Indiana Jones. I mean, I think he's just, it's a reminder more than anything else that he's been at the core of some really beloved films and characters over the past 50 years, and that's pretty amazing. I think a lot of people felt quite misty about his return to Indiana Jones regardless of how they felt about the film itself. I did get misty in this mm. at one stage in this film. Uh, and I thought I'm being totally manipulated here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they know what they're doing. Let's dig a little bit more into exactly what yeah. we're watching here. <laughs> the plot, the plot of Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. He says to make that in a, 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 a concrete logo that sweeps down. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, the main portion of the story does take place in 1969, around that time of the famous, you know, Apollo 11, and that's the backdrop of what we're looking at here in in history. We also do have some flashbacks as well. But Indiana Jones, he's lassoed into one final adventure to find the lost second half of Archimedes' renowned mathematical MacGuffin, the Dial of Destiny. with his goddaughter Helena and who's of questionable ethics and her pickpocketing sidekick Teddy in tow. So the the trio trot across the globe from Tangier to Greece to Sicily, pursued by a nefarious evil physicist from Jones's past. And we do see a little bit of that as well. So coupled with this 1969 story is flashbacks from World War II post-fall of Hitler. And so we get a sprawling 2.5 hour trip uh, across time and around the world. So this one is a long one. This is running well over two hours, and I think that is due to the globe trotting we're doing, mm. the flashback sequences, longer action sequences, and actually the- just some general building of the characters, the relationship between Helena and Indy. The travel actually takes long longer in this, it seems like, even though they're using jet planes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we do get the joy of it being set in that sort of late 60s time period. The production design on this is fantastic, including costumes Mm. and everything like that. But our real focus is just on their adventures. And so really we're focused on the the plot moving along and what's going to take our heroes from one place to the next and what Mads Mikkelsen, our antagonist, is up to. He plays he plays uh, Vala, who's the pursuant. Well, um, because of, of Indy. because India is actually kind of set at odds with uh, the character of Helena. That's a separate protagonist, but more of a soft protagonist in that they're you know aligned with them, but again them as well. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's kind of our general premise. And I think probably, I don't think this is a spoiler at all because this is how the film starts, those flashbacks to World War II, the film kind of giving us, letting us have our cake and eat it too because we do get a de-aged Harrison Ford. Mm. Um, And so some of those sequences we get to see uh, a younger Indiana Jones still doing the action sequences and leaping off things and running around because the reality is Indiana Jones of this current time period is, as is Harrison Ford, an older man. <laughs> and a grumpy one too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> There's a lot to be grumpy about. This is what keeps getting glossed over. Oh, he was grumpy. and you know, He's actually a lot to be grumpy about now. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we do do a little bit of a magic plot brush over why Shia LaBeouf does not return to reprise his role from Crystal Skull in this one. Yes. Uh, so he was a character that was introduced in that fourth film. I'm not sure if they had more plans for him or not, but they've definitely moved away from he was not in this film at all. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, and instead they've used the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character of Helena as the younger foil to to Indiana instead. Is she a Waller-Bridging character then? She is. <laughs> What's the, nick- the nickname is? Wombat. Yes, in the film, which is quite cute and very Australian. Um, so there's a whole thing that Harrison Ford is playing into and up against the ageing action hero, the ageing academic too, which actually comes across rather well, I thought. Yeah, yeah, agree. You may find it rather difficult to endure for the film's running time because that's pretty much where he is, except they do also lean into his emotional story arc as well, which is kind of hard to imagine Indiana Jones having one of those, but he does. Yeah, just imagine in an alternate universe somewhere we'd be watching um, Tom Selleck doing this. Oh wow! So he was he was up for the oh, yeah. Indiana Jones role. He would have done a good job, but I think Ford made it iconic. Yeah, he did. Um, I felt I'm just trying to drill into this a bit better. Look, Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. He's always watchable on screen in this role in particular, uh, and I think. Uh, I don't feel they successfully managed to carry off the aged hero trope as well as I've seen done in some other films. Like, you know, mm. I think the gold, the Goldman standard is uh, uh, 1976 Robin and Marion with Sean Connery and um, Audrey Hepburn. You know, this is a, that if you ever want to see, he says, divvering away there. <laughs> if you ever want to see a classic take on the over the hill hero mm. that is it it's about robin hood obviously and you know yeah and they, every, richard lester directed it and james goldman wrote it and he also gave us the lion in winter you know great absolutely killing dialogue and action and, and a depiction yeah. of an aging hero really fine work and that's the gold standard to me this one yeah. this one i don't think they quite managed to, to nail it I, I think I mean yeah let's let's scratch at that one a bit more. I think that is the the main thing up for discussion with this. It is it's clear that he's old and I do respect that the film has not tried to de-age him a bit you know for his main story portion um ignoring the bit where they're clearly de-aging him I, or make him do things that I mean he does a couple of things that are a bit implausible for a man of his age. This is a problem I have with it. The it's possible to to continue to be, and I've, I know people like this who are extremely still capable of doing a lot of the things and more that they used to do, you know, in physical terms. Mm. However, they have formidable exercise routines and they're always constantly practicing it. So to still be the puncher and the hitter that he is i think you'd like to see some kind of um you know maybe he just goes to the boxing ring he has steve rogers as his sparring partner (laughs) i think they tried i mean i think the opening sequence of him at his real age i mean he's an older man but he's he's fit looking for his age like he's clearly keep taking care of himself and i think that is part of what they're trying to say implied i guess maybe he could ride a horse in in uh they're in new york aren't they that's right 
they like are you, at the start. You could go for horse rides in, in Central Park. That was a thing. You know, so but then we're adding to the running time and we're already way over. Yeah. <laughs> it is a it is a tough one because in my mind, I think they didn't go I, I admire that they didn't go too unreasonable. I don't think they pushed the boundaries too much. They were right on the cusp, but I also think that that the film does acknowledge that he's old. And I think that's part of the plot without it being the whole plot. He he has some dialogue around it. There's some plot points that he can or can't do because of his age. And and I do respect all that, and I think clearly Mangold's that's a specific choice. But it does mean we don't get as much action as previous films, obviously, mm. some of the things that Indy could do before. We're not going to have a whole film of that again. No. And I think some people maybe have a problem with seeing Harrison Ford at his age riding a horse through the subway. But I personally loved his – I think he's so watchable I'd watch him do anything. But towards the end of the film I was like, oh, please just go home and have a hot cup of tea. Like I feel for you. <laughs> As you said, everything hurts and that's true. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I that subway chase, just riffing off here just because we mentioned it, uh, he jumps a horse over the turnstiles, the ticket barriers. Yeah. There's a yeah. guy chasing him on a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> How did he jump over that with a motorcycle? I don't think he did. I think he got stuck. But I think the <laughs> yeah, I think had a, I think he had that's a also, token. <laughs> he did. He's he's very he's a rule follower in only parts of his life. I think the the fact that this film couldn't have been made before CGI, or I think it's only able to include things like some certain stunts and the de-aging sequences because of where technology is at now. Like there's large portions of this film I think that you couldn't as a concept have done 10 years ago. A lot of it still um, is, oddly enough, a lot of it still is live action because uh, that's that was the, the thing they were running for. But, yeah, there is. Well, I'm still- hoping that horse bit wasn't a no. real horse. <laughs> I'm hoping that's a fake horse because that poor horse. Well, it's very, but, it's very um, modern cuts in this too, editing. So there's a lot of fast editing, so you can do a lot with that. Yeah, but you're right. They didn't do much. They didn't use like the Mando um, green screens. I think Mangold very much wanted to go on location and do a lot of shoots um, mm. out, out in the world, so to speak, to capture the the worldly feeling of the earlier films. Why wouldn't you? You've been handed an Indiana Jones film. You're going to be globetrotting. Why wouldn't you want to go on location and do all this stuff? Yeah, get him out there. Should we listen to yeah. another track before we continue on with our Dial of Destiny chatter? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's a good idea. And the track will be Helena's theme, uh, the character who is the god daughter of Indiana Jones in this film. And this is, again, by John Williams. It's a lovely little piece, this one, except she's actually a thief. <laughs> so, you know, you're in Dungeons & Dragons territory here. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero-G. Ah, there we have a little bit of bridging music there. Phoebe Waller bridging music there, the Helena track from John Williams' score for Indiana Jones and the Dial at Inn of Destiny. <laughs> no, actually, that's a yes. nice little theme, but, you know, and perhaps it will grow upon me in time, you know, the, those sort of leap motifs that you get for the characters. It's not really at all that action-based for her, but, you know. No. I mean, considering she is a pretty sassy, action-based character, let's let's dig in. We went pretty deep on uh, Harrison Ford, of course, already as Indiana Jones, but let's talk a little bit about 
the surrounding characters. One thing, last thing to say about him, I think that Ford actually manages to carry off the part of aging Indy, which was obviously born for <laughs> because he's there. Yeah. Uh, and he manages to convey the fact that he's lived this long because he's good at what he does. Yeah, I, I agree. I found it very I, – I feel very fondly towards him. So. And lucky. Let's not forget, very lucky. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, so let's talk a little bit about um, Helena. So she's played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's Jones's goddaughter. Mm. And so she's the daughter of uh, – another character we're introduced to in the opening sequence who was a friend and colleague of of Indies uh and he's played by Toby Jones oh my God. as Basil the ubiquitous Toby Jones he's popped up again uh to have his his little scene but yes yeah, so he's another professor he's another archaeologist and he gets goes quite uh obsessive about this one artifact the dial of destiny he's also a detectorist too don't forget that (laughs) (laughs) so he so he has a daughter helena and we find out a little bit about their past and why helena has popped up into indy's present as well and we learn a little bit more and more and more about her character as the film goes on and not as all as it originally seems let's to say but she's a, a welcoming um pairing to indy actually and i think that the sort of chemistry that the two have together uh, is is part of what hinges, you know, these two characters together. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, Waller Bridge makes a, a good fist of the role, so to speak. You know, I mean, she is in the in the tradition of Tomb Raider, obviously, which is so strange mm. because it's like, you know, Indy came first. And we've seen her before in uh, worked in Broadchurch and The Iron Lady, Goodbye Christopher Robin. Uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, we, we didn't see her. She was doing a voice of a robot <laughs> or a droid. Mm. Uh, and she's actually, I believe, developing a Tomb Raider TV series for Amazon. Oh, amazing. Mm. She's, she's. I mean, she's a writer and actor. I know her mostly from Fleabag, which is one of my favourites. Yeah, sure. Uh, fantastic series, which was originally a one-woman play. But she's done a lot of writing and producing as well. She's worked on Killing Eve. Oh. She's also worked, she did some script edits on the James Bond No Time to Die. And, yeah, she's fantastic. I will say I think the appeal of her and probably the reason she was cast is she's sort of another shade of her Fleabag character in this. But I forgive it because I think the comedy is there. I love her. I'll watch her in anything. And so I think she infuses a nice energy into the film without it being like, this is our young character and this is our old character. It's very, it's much more organic than that and it's much more subtle. And I think that, like I said before, the rapport between them feels genuine. And there's clearly a, a, a chemistry between the characters in terms of it's like almost like a, well, you know, a father-daughter relationship in many respects. And but tr- very troubled. Very troubled, yeah. of so course. I think <laughs> they've, of course, they've, um, like I said, I think that they're filling out what Shire's role in the previous with, with Helen. They're doing a Ripley, when you think about it. Uh, Ripley loses her daughter in uh, Aliens and then sort of adopts Newt as a substitute except it's much more troubled with Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I did have some, I mean, she does a couple of pretty ethically questionable things here to Indy in my mind, and I think there's a couple of plot holes as well around that. And so for me, I think the where they end up 
in their relationship, I, I had to suspend a bit of disbelief, but I was willing to go along. Uh, there was definitely some choices the character made that I was like, how could you do that? But like I said, we all kind of come around uh, to a nice conclusion that I was happy to, that I was happy to uh, accept. <laughs> what do you think of uh, Mads as the, uh, the villain? Yeah, sadly so underused. I felt, mm. and, you know, as you, excuse the pun, but dialed it in. I think they've given him, you're playing this caricature. I mean, I think in a way Indiana Jones lends itself to some big characters, you know, some very stereotypes, especially when you're dealing with Nazi symbolism and so on. Mm. But Mickelson, I mean, he's such a great actor and has such range and depth and ability to I think he's fantastic. I think there's not much for him here. And so he's kind of just moving through each scene playing evil physicist role without too much depth. But, I mean, a, I guess what depth do we want? A NASA uh, rocket scientist actually is under Operation Paperclip, I, I imagine. Uh, so yeah. he's been working yeah. on the um, on the on the rockets that took the astronauts to the moon on moon day as it's shown in the, uh, yes. you know, well, you know, they're having a, the parade. And, of course, there's a chase during that parade. <laughs> yes, there was. And, and you know, he has the history with Indy and we learn, you know, more about that he's got some bad intentions, which you would expect. But it was quite fuzzy for me, the motivations of a bunch of the antagonists at the start. I didn't know who was who. I didn't know why the government was involved. They explained it away with some exposition, but and it wasn't a very satisfying setup. And his cunning plan is is very wobbly. I don't know how he expected to actually succeed. If you just think about what he was planning to do, yeah, I don't see how he could ex- expect anyone to ex- accept him doing that. Yeah, it's it's... I think they've really put a lot of energy into the Indian Helena side of things and they've really just bare bones <laughs> scripted out him and his goons. Like he has these group of goons and the goons aren't even like comic relief. They're very bland. I like to have some villainy goons that are at least memorable, but I found these guys to just be annoying, quite frankly. Yeah. There's one character where I thought there was a lot of potential Seanette uh, Renee Wilson, because this movie is set partly in 1969, um, mm. and she's playing the sort of black exploitation female mm. action hero herself, yeah, Agent Mason. And there's a lot of potential for that character in in this, like a, a secondary character in a Bond film. Yeah, and I would have kept going with that character, but they do a lot of things in this movie where they introduce people and then we'll never see them again for various reasons. And I thought yeah. it was a waste. There was the script had problems with it, with that sort of aspect. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think there's plotting and pacing and considering that they had, like I've said many times, two and a half hours for all of this stuff. I found it very odd that I agree that there were plot holes and very strange motivations going on. Look, it's nice that I couldn't buy. It's nice also to see uh, John Rhys Davies show up again as Sala. No, no surprise. You know they're going to trot out anyone who's still alive. To... That was that got me a bit misty. I was that really. I tugged on the heartstrings when we get our little cameos from people from the older films. I do agree. I, I enjoyed seeing him pop up. And, of course, we do get some Karen Allen as Marion as well. Yeah, none of these things are a surprise to any 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 moviegoer, basically. No, no, I of- think those are definitely not. I think 
The last person to mention who's probably of note is Antonio Banderas, who plays a friend of Indy's um, who gets involved in their quest at one point to help them out with with a boat and some tools in a very interesting, I thought, deep diving sequence that I mm. really enjoyed and thought was quite realistic, a little too realistic. But not. And I'm well af- done. I'm afraid it's not. There's a, a rapid ascent moment in the film. Yes. Which would kill you, basically. You get, you get, <laughs> you get the bends so quickly from that because you can tell that they're quite deep. That's true. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe she she falls over later. But they take it back again. Down. <laughs> I it, well, you know, this is a franchise where you've got Indiana Jones swimming out to a submarine and suddenly managing to hang on to it for a whole trip. Yeah, <laughs> did it yeah, submerge? Yeah. Didn't no one come on deck? You know, all that sort of stuff. I think, in a way, that was kind of my problem sometimes with some of the set pieces is in the olden days you're having so much unbelievable action, the whole film feels silly and fun. This time there was so much realism mixed in that when kind of outlandish things happened, they felt very jarring sometimes. I felt that way sometimes about, you know, people are getting casually shot left and right, which happens in action movies a lot. But for some reason this time it just made me feel weird. And I think it's because there are some sequences that feel very heavy, serious, like true to life. Um, And then next minute you have people hanging off trains and so on. So the tonally it's a little bit, all over the place. Technically speaking, this is a science fiction film, uh, mm. although it, like Crystal Skull, uh, although it feels like more like a science fantasy one because the plot itself and the mechanism <laughs> mechanism is actually quite uh, unbelievable and wobbly and not really spelled out properly. And I'm thinking, why is this work? I kind of see where they're going with it and how that might work, but they're going too far with that. That's not what they've established and... You know, yeah. and look, I love what they did with it eventually, but oh, I thought, but at least did you? Yeah, I, I did. don't know I did if kind I kind of like it, but it didn't feel organic to the movie. Yeah, agree. Uh, and I wondered why well, this this um, antikythera mechanism is actually a real thing; it doesn't mm-hmm. quite tie into history the way they said. And there's a lot of mystery about it, so I do appreciate that they actually tried to use a real, an actual historical artifact in this one. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. And there are elements in this that work a lot, and elements in it that don't work at all. Yeah, so agree. I did have problems with that <laughs> overall as a as a thing. So I don't know. This film, in terms of a yeah, nah, maybe for me, it's sort of like mm. yeah, I could watch it. I did watch it. Mm. I enjoyed a, a lot of it, but I didn't enjoy a lot of it as well. Yeah, I think for me. Like I said, I feel a fondness towards it, yeah. but I think that's my fondness towards Harrison Ford. Yeah. I, I have problems with the plot. I think some characters, like you said, were very underused. Actors were underused. I probably wouldn't put it on a rotation to rewatch. And to me, I think when we're talking returning to form, like Top Gun Maverick to me, like I was obsessed with that movie and that was such a great example of revisiting something. I mean, it's a bit different, revisiting something and then taking it even further in and excelling at it. I think this hung a lot on nostalgia, which is fine, but overall missed the mark on too much for me to really say that I loved it, but I enjoyed it. Mm. There's a lot of inevitably five films. There's a lot of notes in this that are just basically just echoes of the, um, the other franchise of better, of better episodes in it. I think the fighting, is a bit too over-edited in this, the stunts. Um, there's too many chases that seem, yeah. that seem kind of pointless in some respects. 
There was a tuk-tuk chase that I just wanted to end. <laughs> well, it's not like we haven't seen stuff like that in Bond movies or, you know, it's just like, yeah. well, let's, let's not go there. Um, and there's a, there's a whole lot of things in this film that could have been done better, and I don't understand where they were going with some of them. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, is, uh, is Helena supposed to be like a, a new Indiana Jones? Um, mm. is, the, is, the, is the young sidekick going to be another short round? You know, there's some yeah. things like that that I just don't understand where they're, they're going and they didn't develop them. And Yeah. The, the, script, the script did not feel tight enough to me. No, I agree. I, I think it it had a lot of ideas, half executed them and didn't introduce enough new stuff. I think either go right down an emotional pathway of indie, aging, how's he feeling, oh, his family life, this and that, how does it feel to be out there at his age, mm. or just totally dispen- suspend disbelief, de-age him a bit and just be ridiculous with it. Mm. But they kind of tried to do both and that's why it didn't hang together mm. too well. But, again, I, I feel bad ripping it because <laughs> I, I don't know. Is there a part of me that thinks another indie movie is better than no, no more? Mm. <laughs> That's an interesting question. That's actually an interesting question. Well, we'll have to crack the whip over ourselves to keep on going today. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were going to discuss some Black Mirror because we have uh, progressed in, the, in that, but I think we might leave that for another show. Let's revisit that down the line. I think we'd be keen to return to it, but not today. Mm. We have the Melbourne International Film Festival coming up. and we'll, Very soon, yes. Yeah, so we'll have a look at that in future episodes of Zero G. Uh, what track are we going out today? Oh, I know what we can play. Here's the thing. We're always looking for our weekly Bowie. Mm-hmm. And what we have is Space Oddity, which is actually mm-hmm. included in the Dial of Destiny in the music. There's a lot of um, diegetic music happening in the background. And because yeah. it's Moon Day, we've got Space Odyssey. Now, this is the version that Chris Hadfield did, Commander Chris Hadfield did aboard the International Space Station. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we've played this before. It's we've great. Space Sessions songs from a tin can. And that actually would be a good lead into the uh, discussion of Fervor Black Mirror, but not for today. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this song was actually banned on the BBC during the uh, fly out and the mission itself, except oh. because they didn't want it to be too negative and, you know, Space Oddity is actually quite a negative song. Uh, but, you know, the problem was that they didn't get word to the actual people who were putting together the coverage and so it was still played as, as backing. <laughs> <laughs> but we always win. Yeah. He, he finds a way. He found a way, the man who fell to her. All right, that's about it. For zero G for today, and Joe Brunetic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. So Space Oddity is actually a perfect way to play him in. And you know, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I definitely feel like it's one you should sit at the cinema or on the big screen. Uh, but it's a it's a little bit of a hard ask in some respects. But look, it is also great to actually have one last outing with Indiana Jones before he hangs up yeah. his fedora. Okay, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.